This is a Squeeze podcast. We're your shortcut to being informed. This week's podcast is brought to you by BHP. Copper is a big deal in the energy transition because it's used to make electric vehicles, wind turbines and solar panels. When it comes to producing copper responsibly, it's happening now at BHP. Hey, Squeeze Today listeners, I'm Kate Watson, co-host of Squeeze Shortcuts. We're on a long weekend, but we thought we'd take the chance to give you a listen to some of our shortcuts. If you don't know about them, they're max 15 minutes released on a Thursday, topical and as always, agenda free. The reason we started Squid Shortcuts is that we would be scrolling news sites, listening to news podcasts and trying to understand news stories, but finding it difficult as you always seem to come into a story halfway and you don't have the full context. Squid Shortcuts aims to fix that problem by giving you the backstory to the big news stories. So in your feed today are two of our recent shortcuts. One is on Andrew Tate. If you know who he is, you'll want to know more. And if you don't know who he is, he's worth getting across, particularly if you have young men, young boys in your life. The second is our shortcut on The Voice. Our government has said it would deliver the Uluru Statement from the Heart in full. And we now know there'll be a referendum to establish a constitutionally enshrined Indigenous voice to Parliament this year. So have a listen to Squish Shortcuts to get informed. If you like what you hear and want more, just search for Squish Shortcuts in your podcast app and hit follow. Over the summer break, there have been some big developments in the Albanese government's proposal to establish a voice to Parliament. So in this episode of Squeeze Shortcuts, we take a look at the basics of what the voice is, who's lining up where on both sides of the debate, and how it might all shake out in 2023. Squeeze Shortcuts is the backstory to the big news stories. I'm Kate Watson. And I'm Claire Kimball. Claire, first shortcut back. If you're anything like us, you might have switched off the news a little bit, replaced it, in my case, with the cricket, perhaps in your (laughs) case with the tennis. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah, potentially you would have missed quite a lot of action on the federal government's plan to establish an Indigenous voice to Parliament. Yeah, and of course, over Chrissy and the New Year period, a lot of pollies also switch off. Uh, But a lot did happen during the break, and it's going to be a big issue this year, so a good one to start with. Uh, The Prime Minister quite often goes on a beach holiday somewhere, but this summer, Anthony Albanese popped up at the Woodford Folk Festival in Queensland, and he told the audience that a referendum on an Indigenous voice to Parliament uh, would take place within the next year. And that's a pretty big deal because until then, the government had only committed to a general time frame of getting it done in their first term of government. So this has really locked in a much shorter runway. Given a referendum, Claire, is something we all vote in, we best get across it, like always, back to basics to begin. Okay, so the idea is for a constitutionally enshrined Indigenous voice to Parliament, and it actually came out, that idea, about five years ago. Uh, More than 250 Indigenous leaders gathered at Uluru, and they agreed on an approach to recognising Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples in the Constitution. Uh, And they endorsed what was called the Uluru Statement from the Heart. That's where it was all covered in that document. Uh, We've covered that in a previous shortcut, so a really good one to get across to really go back to the start. Uh, And the voice to parliament was a key part of that statement. 
Yeah, it's really only the last six months, though, that it's been given a kick along. And that's because it was an election promise from Labor to have this Indigenous voice to Parliament. Yeah, and in fact, Anthony Albanese said as his very first thing when he uh, won the election that that was something that he was committed to. Uh, And after that, he went to the Gama Festival, which is Australia's largest Indigenous cultural gathering. Kate, I know you've been to one of those in the past. Yeah, I did actually, a couple of times. Yeah, that happened in August last year. Uh, He proposed a simple yes-no question for a referendum. The precise form of words he suggested should be voted on were, do you support an alteration to the constitution that establishes an Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander voice? Yeah, he says that's a pretty straightforward yes-no answer. Uh, He offered up also a draft three-sentence change to the constitution, uh, and that would go along with that referendum question. So point one is, there shall be a body called the Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander voice, Point two is that that body may make representations to Parliament and the executive government on matters relating to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples. And point three, and this is a bit of a paraphrase, uh, the Parliament will have power to make laws with respect to that Indigenous advisory body. And what he says is that's pretty straightforward, but and it's a big but, changing the constitution ain't easy. So there's been lots of discussion about it. Let's get across all the developments you might have missed over the summer break. On this topic of The Voice, Claire, there have been plenty of twists and turns along the way already, starting at the end of November when the Federal National Party came out and said they would be opposing The Voice. Yeah, the Nationals leader, David Littleproud, basically said that he thought that it would just add another layer of bureaucracy and that it wouldn't actually help improve the lives of Indigenous Australians. Notably, he stood next to Northern Territory Senator Jacinta Price at that press conference. She's a Walpiri Celtic woman from Alice Springs. She's one of the leading voices within the coalition opposing the voice. Yeah, she is. But it seems that it's a party divided because a day after the Nats made that announcement, one of its own backbenchers, Andrew G, said that he didn't agree with that decision. And during the break, he quit the party and he's going to sit in the parliament as an independent. So that's where the National Party are at. They are, of course, in a coalition with the Liberal Party. So let's get into what the Libs have to say about all of this. It's really starting to get interesting, that's for sure. Uh, In the first part of January, the coalition leader, Liberal Party leader Peter Dutton, uh, gave some media outlets a letter that he'd written to Prime Minister Albanese uh, demanding more information on the specific detail of how a voice would work. And it wasn't your standard Dear Mr Prime Minister formal type of letter. (laughs) In it, he accuses Albanese of treating Australians like mugs for refusing to answer, quote, reasonable questions on The Voice. Yeah, that's right. And the letter contained 15 of those questions that Dutton says that Australians need answered. And that includes things like how much will it cost? What are its powers? And who will oversee it? We won't read out the remaining 15 questions, but we will put a link to that letter in your episode notes if you want to check it out. As for the Prime Minister, he accused Dutton of a cheap stunt by releasing the letter to the media. And he also said that Dutton didn't raise any of this with him when they were at the cricket a couple of days before. 
Dutton says that the cricket wasn't the time or the place to discuss it. So it's all getting a little bit testy. Uh, But when all is said and done, the Liberals, uh, they still haven't come to a final position on The Voice. And it's difficult to see them warmly embracing the proposal as a party uh, from the tone of what their leader is saying so far. But what is shaping up as a key question now is, will the Liberal Party allow their MPs a conscience vote, just like they did on same-sex marriage. Yeah, a couple of Liberals like Tasmanian MP Bridget Archer and New South Wales Senator Andrew Bragg are advocating for a conscience vote. Ken Wyatt, who's not in Parliament anymore, but was an Indigenous Affairs Minister in the last coalition government, is calling on Dutton to at least back a conscience vote if he won't support the voice. Yeah, Wyatt told the Australian newspaper that he doesn't want his party to be too rash in condemning The Voice. He reckons Australians are supportive generally uh, and that most people are saying that the government should just get on with it. The question many are asking, though, is whether it has any chance of passing at all if the opposition is lukewarm on it and also if many are actively opposing it. Yeah, and the short answer is that it does add an extra layer of difficulty. Uh, We know from the referendum on the Republic that failed in 1999 that John Howard was Prime Minister then and he made it very clear that he didn't support that proposal. Uh, Obviously, it's different this time around because Prime Minister Albanese is very supportive of it and really one of the leading voices in the Yes campaign. Uh, But it's still a very tough ask to change the Constitution. Uh, The conventional wisdom is a success yes vote needs bipartisan support. So we don't know what's going to happen, but we do know we're having a referendum this year. Next up, let's look at what's ahead for The Voice across the coming months. If you've been paying just sort of passing attention to the debate so far, Claire, you would have heard that one side is calling for more detail The other side is saying, (laughs) look at all the detail. What's the go with that? Do we have any detail? How much detail should there be? Where are we at? Yeah, it's a really great question and you're right, that's where the debate seems to centre at the moment is how much detail there is. Uh, And in the end, it's really only a question that can be answered by the voters and for some people it'll be enough, the detail that's out there at the moment, to support the principle of a voice. Uh, The idea is that, as Albanese puts it, it's just good manners for Parliament to consult with Indigenous people about the matters that affect them. Uh, Others will want to see, though, more finer detail of the model And one of the big questions and probably a cry that we will hear over the coming weeks and months is, give me more detail. Yeah, those paying close attention will know that Anthony Albanese and advocates of The Voice have repeatedly pointed to a 2021 report by Indigenous academics Marsha Langton and Tom Kalmer saying it contains 280 pages of detail. Yeah, it was a big report on how a voice might work and you have to feel for Langton and Karma every time they hear someone asking for more information, they probably want to scream, read my report, there's all the information that you could ever want. Uh, but at the same time, they'd probably realise that ordinary people, including me, uh, don't often go around reading big government reports and big reports from bodies and experts like them. So uh, the critics also say that Albanese hasn't committed to what Langton and 
Karma have proposed uh, and their report isn't the same thing as a formal government proposal and a formal view from the government about what sort of road they are willing to go down about how a voice will actually work with the parliament. If they were to adopt that report though, what it did have was a proposed model for the voice which includes 24 members, that's two from each state and territory, plus two additional Torres Strait Islanders and an extra five from remote areas of Australia. Yeah, that's right. But as we said, the government hasn't actually formally settled on that proposal uh, and said that it would take that forward. And the Minister for Indigenous Australians, Linda Burney, has said that it's likely that model won't actually be settled on until after the referendum. Linda Burney says that's not unusual. I read her quoting Noel Pearson and what she said was that people decided they wanted the Harbour Bridge and then the Parliament decided how many lanes there should be. That's the example they're using. Yeah, the idea is it's just up to the people to say yes or no that we want this thing and then up to the government and the Parliament to work out the technical detail. And that's a very similar argument from Professor Megan Davis. She's one of the Prime Minister's most senior advisers on The Voice. She says the High Court was written into the constitution but the legislation as to how the high court would operate that only happened a few years later so she's equating that with the voice uh, that voters should only really be asked to decide on the principle and the parliament can work out the mechanics so really the proponents of the yes case are focusing on how normal it is not to have all the detail out for discussion Yeah, that's right. And what they're focusing on is building support for the general proposition that constitutional recognition of Indigenous Australians is the right thing to do. Uh, There will be plenty of people in politics who lived through the failed 99 Republic referendum. Uh, They won't want to let this become a debate about the model uh, because that's certainly a big part of why that proposal didn't get majority support. So what's the timeline from here? It kind of feels like it's going to be part of the news cycle quite a bit across the coming year. Yeah, it sure will be. And what Linda Burney says is that she's going to introduce legislation to Parliament in March. Uh, That's going to enable the referendum to happen. So it's really just the first step. Uh, That bill will include the government's proposed date for a vote. Uh, Then we can expect a parliamentary committee to scrutinise that bill for about six weeks. So you would expect that there'll be a vote in Parliament by May to hold the referendum. And then it goes on from there. So that's sort of the technicalities of what we can expect over the coming months. I guess what we know also is that the yes and no campaigns will be ramping up over the next few months. They'll be prosecuting their case. Look out for that material in your news feeds. It'll be everywhere pretty soon. Yep, and I've got a feeling at the Squiz we'll be talking about it a fair bit because it's going to be a big issue this year. And uh, according to Linda Burney, the actual vote could be August. So settle in. Uh, It could be as late as November. We're just going to have to wait and see. A big one to watch for 2023. As you said, we'll keep you up to date with all the developments in your daily Squiz. That's your shortcut to an Indigenous voice to Parliament. On to our recommendations. Each episode of Squeeze Shortcuts, we give you some further reading, listening or watching. The Parliament House Library, Claire, is a great resource. We go there quite often. They have a good backgrounder on the Uluru Statement from the Heart, which, as we described at the top of this shortcut, is where this all began. I've also popped a link to our previous shortcut on that statement in your episode notes, as well as that letter from Peter Dutton to Anthony Albanese. 
Yeah, the Parliamentary Library does great research papers, so that's a really good one. Uh, also, Anne Toomey, she's the go-to constitutional law expert in Australia. Uh, she's written an article dispelling some of the myths around the whole question of the detail on referendum proposals, and I think that's well worth a read. Thanks for listening to this episode of Squeeze Shortcuts, the very first episode for 2023. Plenty more to come across the year. If you like what you heard, please tell people about the podcast. If one of your New Year's resolutions was to be more news savvy, it's the place for you. We do take recommendations for Squeeze Shortcuts. Send us an email to hello at thesqueeze.com.au if you have a recommendation, if you have something you'd like to suggest that we cover. Until next week. G'day, I'm Kate Watson, co-host of News Club. News Club this week was an interview with Lauren Sams. She's the fashion editor at the Australian Financial Review. She's all over the business of fashion and retail, so I pulled her in to talk to us about fast fashion and ultra-fast fashion. In particular, businesses like Timu and Shein, who in Australia alone are on track to record more than $2 billion in sales. Here's a clip from that conversation. What is happening is that it's recalibrating fashion as a single-use item. Mm. So when you think about something that's 6 or $7, you know, my, I bought coffee this morning and that was $5.50 and that that's a single-use item to me. You know, I, I have my coffee. Like actually is, like you cannot use that twice. No. <laughs> and so when you're talking about a dress yeah. that's sort of an equivalent price – People equate it with something that doesn't need to be valued. Um, You don't need to wear it again. To listen to the full interview, just search for News Club in your podcast app and hit follow.